Hello there, this is David Hayden Jones, otherwise known as Mr. Ketch on Supernatural, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello, and welcome to another top-secret edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is enrolling at Hydra High School this summer. I'm your host Craig, and this discussion is all about the second half of the fifth season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Back with me from the future, where there's sunlight and all this other stuff, and some random guy who comes out of a projector, is Chris. Hello. He doesn't actually come out of the projector, it's the projector projects his image on a wall, but... You know, magic, whatever. Magic projectors. I like magic projectors. Yes. Um, we are, of course, here to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Part 2, which is a thing that recently finished and I have a lot of thoughts on. But before we do that, we're going to further trial our brand new feature, Neil Before Rise Against, where, again, if you haven't listened to the other ones... We scour the internet and find a thing that we like and a thing that we don't like in nerd culture. Or, you know, just out of stuff we've been re-watching or watching or coming across, whatever. And we talk about briefly why we like or don't like that. So, Chris went first on the last podcast we were on, which was recorded about five minutes before this one. <laughs> so, don't spoil the illusion, Craig. Don't spoil the illusion. This is live, sort of. Peeking behind the curtain, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to start with Neil before Star Trek Discovery production is well underway. We have a Captain Pike who's played by Black Bolt himself. You know that infamous, the, that famous Black Bolt character who took the nation, nay, the universe by storm. Is that a, yeah. a character out of Pirates of the Caribbean? Black, yeah, but oh no, Blackbeard, Blackbeard. Yeah. That's what I'm getting confused with. Sorry. He is of course from the now classic. In humans TV show, he has that Black been Ball. has that been renewed? Has that been? No? It has officially been cancelled. Oh, which I suppose doubles as second good news for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Star Trek Discovery is underway. Anson Mount is playing Captain Pike. There is original series uniforms. Uh, we're going to get to see it inside the Enterprise. We might not see an adult Spock. It's unclear. They certainly haven't cast him yet, but that's what's happening. It's filming now. We're getting it, and. I'm hoping that we'll see it early next year. They haven't said. But Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is the thing that's happening and Captain Pike and all that. It's like having Superman, honestly, in, in Supergirl Season 2. That's how it feels to me. I, I think it's great. Um, really, really enjoyed Season 1. Really looking forward to Season 2. And yeah, if, if you want to hear our thoughts on Season 1, then there's podcasts out there. Yes, there is. Several. And Craig, Craig is going to link to all of the severals on the show notes. I'm just going to link to every piece of content we've ever published about Star Trek Discovery. Oh, well, there you go. That'll, that'll cover it all. Yeah, just go through the list and read and listen to every single bit of it. Because some of it's about trailers that came out like over a year ago. <laughs> That's true, actually. I think, I think we talked about trailers. We talked about <laughs> the first episode. We talked about the mid... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Actually, there's a lot out there. There's yeah. a lot. We, we, talked, we talked an awful lot about a TV show that wasn't even on yet. 
yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's, there's almost as much content out there as there is on Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose if you add it all together, yep. it's pretty close. Yeah. Infinity War podcast recently dropped, so listen to that as well. Uh, there are some audio issues, but they're okay. It's are we allowed to kneel before our own stuff? If I can kneel before the Infinity War podcast. The one that <laughs> you weren't on. The one I wasn't on. I wasn't on it, so I'm impartial. It's fine. Yeah, and haven't heard it as of the time of recording, because you wouldn't have had time. Yeah, that's that's true. I've, I've not freed up an entire week's annual leave yet to listen to the Infinity War discussion. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, so, Chris, kneel before. I am kneeling before um, something that I... Don't know tons about, but I'm kind of interested in it, actually. Amazon's Lord of the Rings TV series. Oh, Young uh, Aragorn, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. so they've, they've announced that it's going to be following Young Aragorn, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, but apparently, it's saying it only the first season's going to focus on Aragorn. I'm like, that, ooh. That makes sense to a degree to me, because it's so huge. You know, it's like... I don't know, it'd be like doing a Star Wars TV show and, and only focusing on one little bit. Mm. I mean, I suppose that's exactly what they're doing with John Favreau's, or it seems it's like post-Return of the Jedi, but um, which is another bit of news we just chucked in there. So that's the good thing about this feature, we just bring everything in. It's, yeah. yeah! And then ruin <laughs> all the stuff for future podcasts that people might have wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Aaron will be sitting there. No, he won't be listening to that. <laughs> but he'll be sitting there and then he'll be like, I want to talk about how much I like the fact that uh, Star Wars is getting a TV show and it's like, yeah, we talked about that. We've, we've spoiled that now. We've spoiled that now. But, I mean, apparently, and uh, see, this is a, the little bits of research that you do when you're doing these things, it's going to be at least five seasons. And it's costing and it's, a billion dollars. A billion dollars! <laughs> a billion! It's like, whoa, okay, well, at least they're starting out with ambition, you know what I mean? It's like, we don't even know if there's a market for the first season. Everyone might go, well, this is Pony. I'm like, but we've spent a billion dollars. <laughs> but people don't want to watch it. We've spent it now. It's too late. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's You kind of have the feeling when they've got enough confidence to throw that much money behind it, or at least say that they're going to throw that much money behind it, that they must have something good on the cards. Especially when The Hobbit left a bad taste in audiences' mouth a little bit. Mm. You know, the, the people weren't hugely enthusiastic about it. But I mean, I like the Hobbit films fine. Especially the second one, that's my favourite. But um, yeah, this Lord of the Rings show, and let's say you do, well, Amazon's practice is usually about 10 episode seasons, isn't it? Mm. Is, that, is that fair to say? I mean, I don't know, I don't actually have Amazon Prime, but um, I think that maybe 10 episodes on Aragorn and then do the anthology style thing, you know, because... It might end up being a bit like Heroes and become a victim of its own success. So everybody watches Aragorn, you know, or Strider or whatever the hell they were going to call it. And then it turns out to be, everybody really likes it. So it's like, yeah, all right, let's do four seasons, four more seasons of this. And then you end up being wondering what could have been. Like with Heroes, you know, the whole idea was they were supposed to tell a 22 episode season about those characters and then move on to something else. Maybe with a little bit of overlap. But people responded so well to the Petrellis and Siler and all them that you just got more of it. Which isn't the best, mm. you know. Didn't end up being the best for the show itself. So, I think that maybe be careful with that. If you're going to be like season one's about Aragorn, stick to that. And then season two, it's like no, no, no. We promise you'll love it as much as you love this, and so on. You mm. know. I, I mean, they might see the thing is if they've said okay, it's going to focus on different characters. They must have characters in mind. And that one of the things that I had in my head is you know you've got that. 
sort of first council pulling together the fellowship? Are they going to focus on one of the fellowship each time? Uh, maybe, although I really don't want to see the Frodo prequel. <laughs> Just like cutting about, like making lunch and stuff, you know. <laughs> I was more I was more thinking sticking away from the hobbits and going for the yeah. uh, the others but yeah, yeah give, I, give us Boromir give us you know Faramir give us Gimli and and yeah, that's yeah. that's where you would potentially get your overlap as well or better yet let's get new characters because mm. that, that's part of the issue I'm having with Star Wars at the moment like there's going to be Han Solo which is out on 3 days uh 2 days um, whatever. Yeah, a couple at of the days. time at the time of recording. Yeah, yeah. So by the time you've heard this, it's probably I've probably seen it. But uh, and then they're talking about Obi Wan, where they've released some or well, there, there's some leaked plot details that's going to be he's going to be fighting some sand people, and a war chief or something. And that's like cool. It's a bit of a western, but again, show me something new. Show me someone I haven't seen before. So I kind of feel like that with Lord of the Rings. There's like thousands of years of history you mm. can play with. There's a lot of canon in there. Um, and as a side note, there's actually a book out that came out, I think, this last couple of weeks, which is all about Peter Jackson making the original trilogy and how yeah. it came about. A very interesting sort of behind-the-scenes thing. There was an excerpt in Empire magazine last month. Mm. Um, I unfortunately have not noted it down, <laughs> the name of the book, on my uh, bit of paper. But uh, hunt it out if you're a fan of the original trilogy. And Peter Jackson may or may not be involved in the show. I think if he is, it'll be a producing capacity. He might direct, like, an episode. You'd imagine they would ask him to consult on some of it, wouldn't you? Yeah, although one of the things I wanted from The Hobbit was Del Toro's vision of what Middle-earth would be like. You know, I want to see some, like, a kind of different take on the material. But if they get Peter Jackson involved, it won't be in a... You know, he won't be world building or anything like that. He'll be doing, I don't know what he'll be doing, but it's typical practice to get someone of his calibre to direct the first episode of something. Del Toro, for example, did that with The Strain. He directed the first episode, Mm. uh, which is also the best episode of the ones I've seen. Um, I didn't get on with The Strain that much. Yeah, that, that was a good one. A good one for discussion. Rise Against, for me, it's a kind of an old one, but it's one that still bothers me, and it's one I do want to talk about. The bloody Venom trailer. <laughs> okay. It's, okay, it's not as bad as the first Venom trailer, which maybe answers this audience need. I don't know what audience needs this, but to put Tom Hardy in an MRI machine. I'm not that excited about that, but this, the second trailer... Is a bit better, and you do see a bit of Venom, and he looks okay. But everything else about it is just... It's, it's very 90s. I think that's the best way I can put it. You know, It looks like they're making a really duff 90s anti-hero film. And it kind of says to me that you're only going to get maybe 10 minutes of Venom in the whole 90 to 2 hours running time. Uh, and the rest of the time, it's going to be Tom Hardy running away from people shooting tendrils at them. Uh it's also, I find this whole film process problematic because you have a character that exists because of another character. So Venom without Spider-Man, how do you do that? And why is it Venom? Why don't you just call it something else and just let it be its own thing other than this brand recognition? But is Venom super mainstream these days? I don't think he is. No, I mean, they still he still gets a, a good go in the comics. 
that's comics. It's a smaller audience. True. He still gets a good go in the comics, but yeah, I I don't know. It feels like they still had some of the property sitting there and thought, well, we've got to do something with the rest of this and we can't tie it into Spider-Man because Marvel won't let us tie it into the MCU because it's going to be very clunky. Or maybe Marvel had the opportunity to to review and go, oh, we don't like what you're doing with this. This isn't becoming part of our canon. You can, you can stick it in this little corner over here <laughs> um, and let's see how it goes. Um, it, it, yeah, the trailer doesn't look promising. And like you say, the character, the whole basis of the character, the reason the character looks the way it does, the reason Venom looks the way it does is because it's copying Spider-Man. So at the end you're going, well, how how does this become, how does it tie in this way? How does it end up looking that way? Uh, it's, yeah. It is trying to sort of rearrange the character and try and take out core elements of why it is the way it is. Yeah. And I think they're going to struggle with that. Because there's a lot of writing around that yeah, that will need to be done. I'm usually all for a few changes in, in comic book adaptations. I mean, look at what Marvel have done. They've changed some stuff. And, you know, by and large, it works. And the thing is, you're just changing Venom for the sake of changing Venom. I don't understand why you're making this change. Other than the fact that it would take too long to establish the whole Spider-Man angle. So instead, it's like corporate conspiracy nonsense with symbiotes. You know, like mm. a scientist who studies them can't pronounce the word, but you, so you've got all this. So they found clearly they found all these alien goo things kicking about somewhere, and they're just bonding them with people. And then you're going to have this film where Tom Hardy cuts about trying to convince Venom to be a hero, or convince the symbiote to be a hero, and you've got this whole we can we can help each other. You know, you've got that cheesy internal voice thing mm. in the trailer, and it's like, ah. Uh, Nah, not that excited. I'll see it, of course. Naturally, yeah. I mean, I've I've got to say, yeah, I will end up seeing it. I've I've probably got no doubt about that. But trailer doesn't doesn't really fill me with uh, a lot. I mean, it kind of has the feeling of being something that was left behind from when they set up the Amazing Spider-Man, sort of set up a ton of villains. Yeah, and they obviously had plans for all that and there was all the talk of there being a sort of Spider-Man extended universe and they were going to do these films and these well, films and these films then that was going to be a thing and it, it was it, well technically it is still a thing and I kind of have the feeling that this is like they went oh what's the best out of the bunch that we had left oh that Venom one looks promising and we, we think we can delete this this and this and make it stand by itself okay well let's give it a go and they've done it Um. So yeah, let's let's see what happens with it. But yeah, I'm I'm not holding out a lot of hope. Well, there's a film in development called Silver and Black that's about Silver Sable and Black Cat, and those characters might work better because you don't need Spider-Man for them to exist. It just so happens mm. that they first appeared in Spider-Man comics. Yeah. So you know Felicia Hardy is a burglar. She doesn't you know who just Spider-Man comes across at some point, and that's it. And then they have this weird, very weird relationship. Um, but you know you, you can cut that out especially with our current Spider-Man being such a child he's ready for Felicia Hardy in, in her purest form she'd eat him alive she just would uh, yeah well the thing is I think Infinity War would be a good place for Peter Parker to get the black suit you know and there's not really a spoiler for Infinity War but there's uh, in, in the trailer you see him getting the metal suit the Iron Spider suit mm. and then 
at a later point in the film he says, this suit's really intuitive. I think about firing webbing and it fires webbing, which is exactly what the alien suit does, funnily enough. So... Uh, it could have I been. I, I have the feeling it could have been something brought back from maybe a distant world or arriving from a distant world yeah. and um, coming into contact with it that way. Um, but without going too into um, Infinity War spoilerness, um, which has its own, you know, they'll have their own issues with promoting. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> Let's not before I I say something I don't want to on a podcast and ruin <laughs> stuff for people. Uh, yeah. Though in fact I think we're gonna you know we're gonna have to sound some form of dual spoiler klaxon later on. Anyway, well, I had, I had a thought about that, but I'll get before 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 we go into that territory. I am rising against. We're talking about characters spinning off here anyway, and I'm kind of for one spin off which I've just talked about with Young Aragon, and another one I kind of read about this week, and it made me sort of go why which is that there's going to be a G.I. Joe Snake Eyes spin-off movie. (laughs) Which made me look and kind of go, who who asked for this one? Who's calling out going, do you know what we need? We need this. And I think the only person that called out for it was someone that owns the G.I. Joe franchise went, what else have we got that we can throw out from here? Ah, let's go for this one. And they've they've sort of went out for it. But yeah, it was one of those movie announcements that kind of makes me go, what? Why? Why has this happened? So uh, yeah, I'm going to rise against it. (laughs) (laughs) Because I could could see no positive gain. Snake Eyes is probably one of the best things about the two films. You know, he's one of the consistent things. I think... uh, I would just love to see a film where everyone explains the plot to him and he says nothing. (laughs) I'm not saying it's going to be good, but I'd like them to fully commit to that. He's not going to say a single word during this entire film. That would be good, actually. uh, Okay, I take it back. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I don't think it'll be good because the thing is, what can you market this on, right? Snake Eyes? I don't know. Are people just going to see it because it's Snake Eyes? Doubt it. Are people going to see it because... Their lead actor will rape Hark, who's a good dancer, but you know, not such a box office draw. So I feel like you're going to be marketing this on your supporting actors, whoever they happen to be. And then otherwise, isn't it just another G.I. Joe film where Snake Eyes is in charge of a team? Probably, you know. Yeah, they're going to have to try and they're going to have to try and tie in a lot of other things to try and make it work. Yeah. I don't know. It just it's just one of those ones that I went why, and it's it's one that I'd even go as far as to say. Do you know what? I'll wait until it pops up on Channel 5 one night and I come home after a night out and I go, oh, what's on telly? Oh, it's halfway through the Snake Eyes movie. I'll watch the end <laughs> of that. You know, it kind of has that feel of a movie for me. Oh, Though maybe I'll end up watching a trailer and go, oh my God, I must see this. Uh, I like the two G.I. Joe movies, though. Like, I'll go on record saying I like both of them. And um, the second one's better. The second one's better put together. But the first one's just a live-action cartoon and it's really fun. So... But, is, but that's what I'm saying. It is one of those movies that you'll quite happily come in from a night out and it happens yeah. to be halfway through. You can catch up on it pretty quickly and just enjoy sitting there watching it. Yeah. But it's not the kind of thing that you would sit there and break apart and watch time and time and time again just because, you know. Just give us a third one with The Rock and maybe mm. Channing Tatum and, you know, he was, spoiler alert, killed in the second one. But, you know, you can undo that. It doesn't matter. That, that was a weird one because it was... It was getting made at the point where Channing Tatum's star was rising, and then they'd already kind of mostly completed the film where they'd killed him in the first five minutes. And, <laughs> and then that was it. They were like, oh, we're stuck with this now. It's like, don't worry, we've got The Rock, though. We'll be fine. And Everything's yeah. better with The Rock. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, including that film where he plays a, a handy, capable guy who jumps around skyscrapers <laughs> that I'm looking forward to. Okay, so feature over. I think it's time to get on to our main event, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Chapter 2, or Part 2. It doesn't really have an arc name in this in the same way that the previous season did, So, but we'll just call it Saving the World. Yeah, why not? Yeah, World in Peril. I don't know, just whatever. Uh, it's basically, um, we won't get any spoiler story threads just now, so I'll just start by asking you what you thought of the second half. Uh, I thought it was still very strong, actually. Um, I think I said at the mid-season that normally with S.H.I.E.L.D. for me, the first half of the season ain't that great. Second half, it picks up and suddenly grabs my attention, whereas this has been pretty consistent. Uh, I've had It still had its flaws. It still had a couple of little issues running through this. But overall, I have really enjoyed watching this. It's been one of the things that I've been sort of looking forward to catching up on each week. Yeah, this this season was a definite highlight to me uh, in general. I loved the first half, and I thought the second half was even better. Um, there are things that I'll get onto later in the podcast that where where I'll explain a bit more about just how much I apparently like this show, uh, and parts of it even surprised me while I was watching, particularly the finale. But yeah, like you said, I was like every Saturday, I was like, oh man. I have to work on a Saturday because I've got to review this thing <laughs> on a Saturday. But also every week I was like, I am looking forward to seeing this. Uh, it was, it was, you know, it's, I mean, I suppose all my TVs, appointment TV, but I sort of forced myself to keep up by writing about it all. But this, this is one where Saturday morning I get up at a reasonably early hour, I'll get myself a bowl of cereal and I'll watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And now I won't have that for at least a year because there is a season six. Yay! Or, or perhaps not yay, which we'll come to later. No. Um, and yeah, I'm going to miss it for a year, a whole year. So that's that. I think for reasons that we'll talk about later, it's probably a wise choice. But uh, like you say, I, I, I'm kind of disappointed that we're not going to be seeing a little, a little bit before then. Yes. So, shall we go down... The, the spoiler to the spoiler fear dimension don't be afraid of spoilers we'll go to the spoiler yes yeah, so let's go for the spoiler fear dimension thing yeah that thing yeah do dad watch him call it <laughs> welcome to level seven right now we're safe so we can say what we want that's good it's good to know our clearance has been up- upgraded we're now promoted yay good stuff okay so shield this season employed a similar but different structure to the previous season. Last season had, was it four arcs? Yeah, so you had Ghost Rider, you had Life Model Decoy, you had... Mm-hmm. Framework. Oh, it was just those three then. Mm. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, three roughly eight episode arcs. And that worked really well because it meant you never got bored of a story. It was never lingered long enough for you to get bored of it. This season's a similar approach. First half of the season, they're in space. Second half of the season, they're trying to stop themselves from being in space. Um, the time loop thing, breaking the time loop. I thought that was a goodish story. Well, it was a good. It was a good story. It was a really good idea. And I think early on they did some really good stuff with. We're invincible. 
oh look, everything we do is causing things that we saw are not to be true in this future. This is something to be really discouraged by. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the way that they got to the point where the future could be changed, I didn't understand what made it possible to change the future. Was it just they were making an arse of it before now? Or or did something definitive, like, happen? I I kind of had the same feeling in in the last... For the last episode, because I've been waiting for some definitive moment where someone or all of them have come to the realization, oh, hang on, that means this can change. But... I didn't see that. It just all worked out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the I think the the bit I got was the choice was don't save Coulson. Right? Say or if if you don't save Coulson then you've got the thing that can take out Talbot. However, the team chose to save Coulson. Coulson chose not to save Coulson, which then gave Daisy the power boost she needed to send Talbot into orbit. Yeah, but I don't real I don't understand how at any point before that Coulson hasn't made that choice. No, it, the problem is, and it's well, I suppose it's a problem. It's not a problem that your characters are so well defined that their decisions make sense. But every decision that was made made sense for those characters. So I thought when I first watched it that the turning point was when Fitz decided that he and May should go inside the ship to save Mac and Polly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, when they go inside that ship. That is one of the change points, because it's after that point Ruby says... Not Ruby. Robin yes. says... Ruby's someone else. So many similar sounding names. <laughs> um, Robin says something's different. However, I think the turning point is where Daisy decides to put Mac in charge. Ah. Although, that leads up to the point where Fitz is like, oh my god, Mac doesn't make it. And he kind of thinks, this is where he doesn't make it. Because he's in the ship when the earth cracks apart, I guess. Will they get the people out and escape? I don't know. I don't know what the turning point is, but I think... But it gets, I get the impression, or I got the impression when I rewatched that scene, um, that, because I rewatched it, this this evening actually just to just to see if my thinking was right and it and it feels like this is okay this is something that a decision that Daisy doesn't necessarily want to make so even though Mac being in charge makes sense to her and it makes sense to everyone else I feel like in a previous time loop she might not have made that decision potentially potentially but Robin Robin's been our sort of bible up until this point of what's going to happen and it's only once Daisy is fighting Talbot that Robin says something's different. At I think that it was point, at the point where Fitz went inside the ship, or was it where he got crushed by the rubble? Sometime around then, where she says something's different. I think something's Daisy would have always fought Talbot. Hmm. Uh, but the whole Colson—I feel like Colson would have always given her the serum. You would you would have thought so. It seems so, like you say, it seems so in character for Coulson to do that. Yeah. In the same way that it's in character for me to sort of smash the thing to take the decision out of everyone else's hands. Yeah. I, I think Coulson would have given Daisy the serum or he would have refused to take the serum because he wouldn't sort of survive so that the rest of the planet could get wiped out. You know, that's yeah. not his style. Yeah. 
but yeah, so unclear what the turning point is. Yeah, I think it, they're leaving it up for debate, aren't they? I suppose. I, suppose, I did. But... I did think there was going to be some obvious hint as to how they got out of the loop. Yeah. Because you don't know how many times up until now they've done it. You know, as far as you know, it's either the first time or the hundredth time that they've been through the loop. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always the first time, isn't it? Yes. But, like, they're always hearing about previous iterations of the loop. So that's the whole point of the loop. It has no beginning and no end. It just goes, it just endures. So, you know, but temporal mechanics means it has to begin somewhere, it has to end somewhere. But, yeah, and I was I was expecting something more definitive than that. What I guess I was expecting was there was a point where, here's the clear choice. This is Earth-saving, this is Earth-destroying, and... Ultimately, someone makes a decision, change, makes a change that they didn't make before, or makes a sorry, makes a choice that they didn't make before, and then it happens. I mean, the implication is it's supposed to be with the saving Coulson thing, but it isn't. You know, I thought that debate was going to be framed a bit more than it was, but it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure where the decision is. Your your theory of uh, Mac being put in charge being a a potential change. I think is it's just as just it's just as good as any. Yeah, I think there's a lot of decisions that you could rattle through and go right. Well, at this point, they go into the ship because they remember that Mac didn't survive in the past one, and for him to survive in this one, they're going to have to go in the ship. Yeah, but they don't know at that point whether in the original timeline they also went into the ship. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I. I I'm not sure at all. They must have some one of the writers, one of the showrunners, somewhere in their head has the point where all this changed, where all yeah. the balance sort of tipped in it. Um, but yeah, we don't know. Yeah, but there were several, there were several sort of big moments leading up to that in previous episodes where things didn't change, despite the fact mm. that they wanted them to change. So then you know the the first major one was like five minutes after they get back, pretty much. Where uh, Elena gets her arms cut off. So yes. like, oh my god, this happened before, and uh, and so on. And then you've got the whole. Uh, you had the whole. We are invincible because we survive long enough to have a grandson who's deek, and um, so you had this whole. I'm going to drink like all this acid and see what. Happens. <laughs> uh, or they're I'm going to play. I'm going to play acid roulette. Yeah, yeah. just or whatever. I can't remember what the material was, but. Yeah, three of these are water and one of them is like not. <laughs> that was it. Uh, that was that was kind of funny. And then they got into a gunfight in another episode, and and you know all these little things where it's like we're invincible, and the show wasn't doing anything to discourage you from the fact that they were, at least for now, invincible, because time is is keeping them safe until such times as they don't survive. At least long enough to have a grandson. Yes. Or a daughter, anyway. But <laughs> And I thought it was funny how Fitz hated the fact that Deke was his grandson. <laughs> not, not him. Anyone not any, him. any of the other people we've met. Surely not that guy. Oh, no, it is. I didn't oh. mind Deke. It was actually it was a good source of humour where there wasn't any. Um, I, do you know what? I, I agree with you. I, I actually like Deke. I didn't think it, he was a, a poor character at all. And I think it was interesting seeing him crossing over to a sort of a functioning Earth rather than the broken yeah. one he was used to. Sort of all the rumours he had heard about Earth that weren't true. 
you know, all the, <laughs> the sort of bits and pieces because it's all been picked up from books and he doesn't or like little bits of information that were left behind. You know, the fact that he's, the first thing he did is walk into a bar and forget that he needed to pay them with money. Um, is, <laughs> runs <laughs> up know, a tab and gets arrested. Yeah. Runs up a tab, gets arrested, and you're kind of like, yeah, of course that's what's going to happen pretty much as soon as he goes in, you know, having the time of his life and then promptly forgets that he needs to pay someone. Yeah, and I thought that, that Deke was um, was a good way of bringing back the, the version of Daisy that I liked so early on, you know, the kind of the quippy and... Um, and, and sarcastic, wisecracking type character, you know the uh, she she was able to bring he was able to bring that out in her a little bit, you know when it's, I think it's just because he annoyed her so much that she was just exasperated with him all the time, and uh, that that really played well into their dynamic and the whole they didn't make much of the Deke has a crush on her stuff, you know it was there throughout but they didn't I, uh, do anything I'll, with it it wasn't I love. Sexy. I love the. Um, do you still do it where if you love someone, you leave a lemon on their bed oh, so that they they know totally. they know, and then you know you get that kind of glance between the two characters and they turn around going, yeah, totally, we do that all the time. <laughs> You've got that emotional moment in like the next episode, and Daisy just casually says, "Someone's left lemons." On I my think bed. I don't even think it's the next episode. I think it's like two, three episodes later where Daisy comes back in and goes, "And I came back to my room and some creeps left lemons on my bed." <laughs> <laughs> just and he's like, yeah, it's probably great. fits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally him. It's like a yeah. fits thing to do. That. Do that, and yeah, that that was funny. Their dynamic was quite good, and as I said, uh, Deke was often there just to provide a little bit of levity when everything was really intense. No, definitely, and it was it was a, like you say, it's a fun character to have around. I was kind of happy that he had moved over from. Um, the sort of broken earth it was yeah. it was an interesting thing to have and I suppose it was interesting seeing his motivation shift when he found out that his life depended on Fitz and Simmons surviving as well it was an yeah. interesting sort of dynamic at that point where he's turning around going don't you two do anything risky you know it's not just your life at stake <laughs> and then you had the whole will he wink out of existence will he not and the fact that he leaves in the last episode leaves that Quite yeah, I was thing. wondering if you had spotted if he had survived or not because I, I after watching it, I was like, I can't remember if we saw a scene of him sort of disappearing or not. But then I remembered he had said he was going to sort of explore the world, yeah. and you know. Yeah. Also, this is your finale. I have no place here. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was basically the what that scene was about. But it's also leave it ambiguous as to whether he'll return or not. Especially like you have to bear in mind that this finale was created with the whole intention of we're not coming back. It's looking like we're getting cancelled here, and it definitely feels like that, which is something I think we'll come on to a bit later. But yeah. Um, it's a bit too early for all the finality side <laughs> things. But, um, so the whole Destroyer of Worlds story. So you had this whole... Basically, they were just lining up different candidates for destroying the world as, as the week <laughs> went on. So, you know... Will it be contestant number one? Yeah, yeah. Is it like is they're it a Ruby? former is agent it? of Hydra, and yeah. now they've been trained as an assassin? Yeah. Is it Ruby? Is it Daisy? Is it you know like I mean I had all these theories. If you read back on my reviews, there's theories everywhere, and all of them are wrong. Oh no, single one of them. You know, but but the thing is, I was putting the evidence together as it was at the time. So you had Ruby being groomed as the destroyer of worlds. So what I thought was you were going to have like Ruby versus Daisy with the whole Earth at stake. That's what I thought the finale was going to be, because that's what they were building to at one point. And then they kept referencing that one episode in season one, 
you know, where you meet Dr. Franklin Hall and he gets sucked into the Gravitonium. Uh, maybe you don't remember it. It was a while ago. Oh, it was. A, do you know what this was? A episode. season. This was a season of throwbacks, though, yeah. for a lot of stuff. But yeah, well, I did come in full circle. Basically, I did remember it eventually. Yeah. I was like, "What's this of the characters and the thing?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, the gravitonium." Because they did show. I think they showed a couple of scenes, like flashbacks. Yeah, previously on. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually rewatched that episode because they kept referring to it, and I was like, I should probably remind myself of it. And the episode itself is. It's probably one of the better episodes of season one, if I'm honest. Um, you know, you get you get about Daisy running around. It's Daisy. It's Sky at the time. That's how old. It, that's how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a bit of Daisy. We'll just call her that for simplicity's sake. Running about around doing her first undercover mission. It's all right for that. You've got the gravitonium. You've got the suggestion of graviton, and then and then they show a flashback to season one or the season one timeline, where Ian Quinn gets sucked into the gravitonium as well. Mm. So one of my theories was that they were both going to get out and it was going to be like Battle of the Gravitons in the finale with the S.H.I.E.L.D. team stuck in the middle. Um, That also didn't happen. (laughs) So Talbot becoming Graviton was something I just did not see coming. Um, Mostly because they just handled it so matter-of-factly. He just happened to be in the room. He saw Captain America's infusion chamber thing. You know, it's the same one from Captain America. He gets in, suddenly he's Graviton. A very comic-accurate-looking Graviton as well. He's got yeah, the, no, I yeah. was... Do you know what? I, I, I didn't see that coming, to be honest. Um, I'm the same as you. I had tons of uh, theories in my head, one of which was uh, Creel turning yeah. out to destroy, you know, like absorbing so much and becoming sort of addicted <laughs> to it and wanting to absorb more. And, you know, obviously you did get that aspect, but it wasn't, it was him that got absorbed, not the, uh, yeah. uh, not him sort of trying to destroy the world. But I liked, I liked the sort of twist they did where obviously they had set up the whole thing in the beginning to be, oh, it's Daisy. Daisy should have been left in the future and then none of this would have happened. You shouldn't have brought Daisy back. She's refusing to use her powers and, you know, trying to stop all that happening. Then you've got all the other elements that that start coming in. And, yeah, I I just kind of liked a bit of the intrigue with that, where they've sort of set you up with one expectation and then sort of at the last second sort of flip everything around a bit. Yeah, that's what I want. I want all my theories to be wrong. I like to sit and speculate about these things, but when you answer the question, I want it to be something I didn't see coming. You know, and, and I always think that, see, when it comes to you figuring out that something's about to happen, like the whole mm. uh, Talbot getting into the chamber thing. I knew that was going to happen as soon as he was in that room and stumbled across the you know the, the, the sheet that was covering yes. it. And I was like, all right, so now he's getting in. Okay, that's fine. And that's like that's the right time to figure something out is because it still surprises you, except and you, you're still, you have the anticipation of knowing what's coming after that point. So, you know, you know what Talbot's about to do and then a couple of scenes later, that's what happens. Um so if I'd figured it out, if all my theories had come to pass, it might have still been great, but also I might have been a slightly, well, that was predictable by me. You know, and there was there was just all sorts of little bits that I was enjoying digging into, and, and there's some things I'm still wrong about. You know, I thought um, I thought certain things were, were being framed to, to be built up in other ways and weren't, but I think the end result was, was better. Um, and I like the way they did the whole Destroyer of Worlds thing by building on... Here's what it's supposed to be. Here's what it is now, and then here's what it is next. You know, it just everything about it changes as it keeps going. Mm. So it starts off with the whole um, Hydra High School thing, 
which I really liked actually. Hydra High, which yeah. if if that doesn't become a sort of TV show of its own, is uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of young Sitwell who's yeah. getting picked on even then. Yeah. There was <laughs> they're all talking about, about where they're going to be sent. Yeah, yeah there was something about Kingsman issue about it though. Shoot this dog. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. Yeah, except in Hydra, you actually shoot the dog. That's that's how horrible it is. And then, <laughs> but I like the the characterization of Hale as like being really ambitious. She's the top of her class. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, we just want you for your uterus. <laughs> That's, yeah, you're going to be good breeding stock. <laughs> yeah, all your, all the work that you've done is just is worthless to us because we just needed you for that, and we needed someone to prove their loyalty. And you know the way that she, it, it added a bit of tragedy to a character that was fairly thinly written up to that point. Yeah, yeah. sort of added. They added layers to her throughout you know obviously at the beginning you've just got some sort of a rogue air force general that's running about and decided that they don't like shield and you're going all right yeah. well we don't know what that's about whatsoever but then she just becomes more and more ruthless throughout as well yeah. uh, anyone that fails her is dealt with swiftly you know? yeah and it was good to see whitehall again and mm. and all that you know the, the i like that flashback episode it was very illuminating about these things it, it kind of provided a different angle to yeah. things that were going on at the time, which is which is nice because Shields actually got the time to show from all these different angles, and I think it's flashed back to those moments quite a few times now, of sort of the the fall of Shield, the rise of or the temporary rise of Hydra. Yeah. Um, you know, you've seen a few of those now, but it's still quite interesting each time because you're getting sort of little nuggets along the yeah. way. And there's still the perception that you just cannot kill Hydra. You know, like, they thought they dealt with it, and Hale's there, and she's Hydra, you know, and I like the whole Hale Hydra thing mm. they kept referencing, and <laughs> the fact that Daisy just chuckled at it, despite how dark it all is, it's just Hale Hydra. Just bloody hell. You mm. know, <laughs> how can you, yeah, how are we not laughing at this? How, how, did, how did we miss that at the beginning, yeah? It was Hale's Hydra, I think they called mm-hmm. it. Yeah, but that was funny. Yeah. Uh, so so ultimately she got forced into having a child. And then you had that mother-daughter thing with Ruby, which was really interesting because it was the whole raising her as a... Well, raising her as a child, but also raising her to be a soldier. And those two things are not compatible. Because in order to make her Hydra's idea of the perfect soldier, you have to deprive her of things like attention and affection and all that. So she has to be cold and detached and all and that really messed her up oh yeah she she was just a messed up young woman i mean when you first see her she's in that well you don't know it's a cell at that point when you first see her it looks like a teenager's bedroom the sort of window the posters on the wall for uh, quake yeah um you know it looks like the typical teenager's room and then you find out it's actually yeah you find out it's actually a cell inside a bunker yeah yeah, um, when when they were first introduced, when she was first introduced, I thought, oh, it's just, why is there an Instagram princess next to the end of the world? Like that early scene, but I, I remember like when it first introduced her, I was like, I'm not keen on this. And I wonder if like the casting of someone who was a, you know, a Disney Channel favourite type actress they chucked on this show was to make people think that going in, and then... So you see that mm. first scene, and it's exactly what you would expect from someone who was on the Disney Channel, you know, who she kind of looks very, she looks very peppy and 
all that stuff. You know, she's very trendy and very young and playing with her phone and sitting with sitting on her bed texting with posters on her wall and you know all that like all that teenage girl cliche stuff that you just mm. hate in other shows and then by at the end of the episode as you say they reveal the they reveal her impractical blades her costume the fact that she's inside a cell the fact that hails her mother and well you know that early on anyway but it made me wonder is Hale actually her mother or is there something weird going on here turns out both <laughs> no, it's most definitely both. Yeah. And yeah, I liked Ruby actually. I liked her a lot and I think her death was was shocking uh, in the, all the right ways. So she absorbs is it 8% of the gravitonium? Mhm. And she can't she can't resolve it. It kind of annoyed me in the subsequent episodes when they were like Talbot absorbed 100% of it. So, no, he didn't. He absorbed 92% of it. Yeah, he absorbed 100% of what was left over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Do you know what? It was one of those things where it was like she was so confident. It's like, I've been I've been brought up for this. This is my challenge. This is my moment. This is what I've been meant to do the entire time. I'm going to show them. Goes in the machine, and within, like, about five seconds of the machine being, I was like, nope, let me out. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, the suggestion was she wasn't emotionally ready for it, as she, or mm. as emotionally ready as she thought she was. And the whole experience was more overwhelming than she thought it was going to be. And then, you know, she she ends up killing Von Strucker, or mm-hmm. Alex, um, which is, you know, quite gruesome to, to behold, it has to be said. Uh, the, the Graviton deaths are particularly brutal. Just folding people in on themselves. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, very nasty. It's the kind of thing that we've seen on uh, Legion. Very yeah. similar to the way you've seen people disposed of on Legion, but not not quite the way we've seen it dealt with on Shield before. Yeah. So there was that, and then Daisy tried to talk her down, and um, she called her a fraud or something like that. You know, she kind of saw through the veneer of heroics that she'd built up for herself. Uh, or, yeah, don't meet your heroes, as they always say. So that, that was really good. And then Elena slitting her throat was just brutal. Brutal. Yeah, that was uh, what way to go. But from Elena's point of view, it's oh well, she's a destroyer of worlds. Then I've just saved the world. I've yeah. I've just solved or it, caused yeah. it, <laughs> solved you know, it or caused was, it. Yeah. yeah, I've I've now pushed this to the next level yeah, that it shouldn't have. Yeah, is everything yeah. we do stopping the destruction of Earth or causing the destruction of Earth? Well, every like you said at the beginning, every step that they took was basically moving closer to the reality of what had happened. It's yeah. like why why is the Zephyr capable of space flight? Oh well, we, we amended it. it. Why did why did we build it to do it that way? Because we called a spaceship here. We had to get <laughs> Golson back. All right, okay. So every time they were doing that stuff, it was like, oh yeah, of course the the Zephyr now needs to fly. Yeah, in space. Yeah. Yeah, which is fine, I suppose. Um, because you do have to keep us guessing about whether they can actually do it or not. Um, it's a bit like, but not as bad as, in The Flash, where they're like, okay, we know that Iris dies on this date, and here's all the information that we had about that date, so let's try and prevent it all. And then throughout the season, they prevent absolutely none of it, because they're useless. <laughs> but the whole thing is, like, it seems at some point the characters aren't actively trying to prevent the destruction of Earth. Although they always are, but they're they're kind of not as well. Like the whole problem with these types of stories is is every decision you make, like you second guessing yourself because you wonder if you did that before. 
So what you had in this is every character was making the same decisions they would normally because they don't know what decision it is mm. that, that causes it. So they just have to act on their own. And a lot, you know, on yeah, their own back and and they do throughout. And a lot of the time, what they're doing is they're making decisions on the back of firefighting. Yeah. It's not so much that they're making decisions directly impacting the whole end of the world scenario. It's that, oh, Coulson's been abducted by someone or this person's went out on the street and then they've been caught on camera and yeah. the town's on lockdown and this is happening. You know, that's why they were having to take a lot of the steps that they were taking. It wasn't particularly to stop the end of the world. And that, I think, made it more believable. But like you said at the beginning, the whole struggle that you've then got to come to is... Well, what changed this time? Yeah, and are they out of the loop? And does the fact that they still remember everything they did to that point mean that obviously Deke is still in existence? Because yeah. for you know there wouldn't have been a reason for them to go into space, so they wouldn't be caught pulled into space in the first place because the Earth wasn't destroyed. So the prophecy wouldn't be there, so they wouldn't need to call in, so it wouldn't happen, you know. Yeah. So they've got to kind of draw a line at some point, which is where time travel, and we've done a whole podcast <laughs> in the future about time travel, yeah. <laughs> which is available in the past on your feed. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it, it's where it can get complicated and messy, which is why sometimes time travel and TV, as I said in the podcast, just you go hang on, how, how do we straighten this knot back out again? And I think a lot of the time, the writers and everyone just goes, listen, just go with it. Ignore what you're thinking. Just move along. You know, we have solved this particular crisis. Just leave it at that. Yeah. Don't try and work out what the ramifications of the rest of it are. Yeah, well, I suppose the, um, the thing about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is when they introduced... It wasn't time travel. It was precognition. Mm. So, I mean, you've got um, Robin... She can see the future. So could her dad. And then everything you saw that, that I forget her dad's name, but everything you saw that he predicted came true. You just didn't know how it was going to come true. So that was the, that was the mystery. And then, so you go into this time loop armed with that knowledge, knowing that according to what these characters know, time is immutable. You can't change it. Um, so therefore, they're stuck. They're just going to keep reliving the same sequence of events over and over again for to infinity and beyond. You know, yeah, they just because it's it's it. preset. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. So, yeah. So that's the drama. So that what this season has to do is prove that time isn't fixed, and we already know that it isn't in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we've seen time travel used in Doctor Strange, for example. Um, where he was able to change the past by reversing time and, and stopping Dormammu from wiping out China. Mm. Um, spoilers for Doctor Strange. So, so we, already, <laughs> we, should, we, already, we should just be sounding a Marvel spoiler <laughs> klaxon, to be honest, because we've, no. we've got a biggie coming up at some point <laughs> in this podcast. Yeah. Um, Doctor Strange is old enough. Whatever. Doctor Strange is old enough, yeah. yeah. It's more other stuff. <laughs> we already know that the past can be altered in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we saw it happen in Doctor Strange. But in the context of this TV show, and this particular story they're telling, as far as anybody on this show knows, they can't. And so what they're doing is they're trying to 
They're essentially coming back in time to try and stop something that's impossible to stop. At least as far as some of them believe. They may hope they can do it, but, for example, Fitz, he's not so convinced. He doesn't think he can do it. So, that's interesting. And then, like I said, they never get to that point where it's like, oh my god, we can change the future. You know, and I was I was expecting that moment and never got it. Yeah, I, I just... I, I was expecting that. Though it's interesting that you, you bring up sort of Fitz and his... Um, his opinion as opposed to uh, Gemma's mm. and do you know what they are two of the characters that I've actually really really enjoyed this season I know some some people can find them as nippy as anything oh, season one Fitz and Simmons when I rewatched that, that episode mm. I was like I hate you both but <laughs> I don't hate them now <laughs> no I think I think the characters are have been really well developed I think their relationship is great seeing that they got married and everything through the uh, uh, this season was just, uh, yeah, like a nice coming together, finishing off the whole relationship thing with them yeah. uh, brilliantly. Sort of tied up very nicely. Yeah, they're, they're used well. Um, and when it came to Fitzy's uh, psychotic break, that was some of the best stuff I've seen in a TV show in quite a while. And that's, you know, that's, that's high praise, I suppose. But, you know, it's, it's true. I thought, because... The way they played with our expectations of it was so good. So you had the whole, the fear dimension was preying on them at that mm. point. So they had this thing in the basement for like three episodes before they could shut it. That was just conjuring fears at random. Um, so what you had was Fitz was talking to himself and I was like, all right, okay. So the framework version of himself has been conjured up by this, by his fear of becoming that in this, by this dimension. But it turns out he's just regular old like madness, uh, and he is actually doing those things. Like no no duplicate of him is running around. It's just him, um, and this this side of his personality is taking over for the purposes of this 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 event that he needs to fix, and um, and I've really liked how they did that because they brought back the brain damage that had been forgotten largely since it since it kind of resolved itself. So it's like yeah, your brain is like screwed. And we, you know, and you're prone to these sorts of things. No, it was it was so well done, really well acted as well. Yeah, that that sort of little reveal where I think they went round a pillar or something. I can't remember. The camera moved, and you get the reveal that he's actually just there by himself. It's the bit where, like, yeah, Daisy's. I think it's Daisy says, "Who are you talking to?" Yeah, and then I think Simon walks in, and there's only one of them. Yeah, and it's just at that point. You're thinking, oh, that's... Because, like you say, it's all been set up to that point to be an illusion from the, the sort of fear dimension. Yeah. It's his fear of that character has conjured it and brought it in, and it isn't at all. It's just him. And you, I, I love that it sort of played with your expectation with that completely. It was just so well done, really surprising, well-written, brilliantly acted. It just ticked so many boxes, that episode. And the thing is, the whole fear manifestation is the easy way out, isn't it? You know, it's you, so you can have evil Fitz running around for an episode, and then he does some stuff to the team, but they're all like, "We know it wasn't you, Fitz. It's fine." But it's like, no, it was you. You made these choices. You did these things. And even at the end of the episode, he's like, "You know what? I do it again because I feel like it had to be done." And that's just brutal. It's just I use that word a lot in this podcast. Apparently, but it's just. 
that's really harrowing. It's just, holy crap, he is capable of this. And he, he believes that he's done the right thing. And that's a lot of the tension between him and Mac in the second half of the season as well. The whole, mm. I don't like what you're turning into. And he's like, well, someone's got to do it. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I'd, but that's what I liked about it is it had ramifications as much as they could have had the fun of an evil Fitz running about for an episode and then went and he's dead, yeah. uh, and then so it dealt with it and then went oh thank God we knew it wasn't you oh that must have been terrible with your fears coming back to life, the fact that it turns out it was Fitz and not only that he's sitting there going. I conjured that character up because he would get done what I wouldn't get done. And looking at it, it's something that needed to happen and I would do it again. Yeah. And they still call on that, that character within Fitz later on, who's just willing to make a tough decision. Yeah. Who's willing to go out there and do it rather than sort of sit about and, and wait for someone else to take the initiative. And Mac keeps pointing or points, well, he does it at least once, points out to him, the more, the more you make difficult decisions, the easier it gets to make them, and then you don't understand where that line is anymore. And you know, it's prophetic and it's it's tough, to, tough to say, tough to hear. But it's the it's that the two sides of that coin. And um, Mac wants to stick to his principles, but Fitz believes that sticking to their principles isn't going to be what saves the earth. Turns out it is. <laughs> you know, because. Uh, he goes back for his friend and that's how things kind of change slightly or it's how one thing at least changes you know so um, Coulson sticks to his principles by giving Daisy the serum I guess but uh, once again characters sticking to their principles sticking to helping others not making difficult decisions that impact other people it's making difficult and costly decisions that benefit or that, that affect you not others and that's that, maybe that's the message that we're trying to get across the whole self-sacrifice, not sacrifice of others type thing. There's one really powerful scene. Well, there's quite a lot of powerful scenes, but there's one that really grabbed me in, uh, in that particular episode. It's the bit where Fitz is locked up at the end and Simmons is on the outside of the cell looking in. And you've got this bit where Fitz walks towards the glass and he's reflected in the glass. So mm. he's standing next to her. Well, his reflection appears to be standing next to her. And then, so they have a chat. So it's that duality of fits at that point. And then there's a bit where Simmons walks away. And she walks away while her reflection walks towards Fitz. So you've got this whole, again, the duality of their relationship. You've got this whole, so there, there's things happening that are kind of pulling them apart, but they will always get pulled back together mm. as well. So there, I mean, there's that whole um, that whole thing they talk about how, you know, every time we progress in this relationship, one of us gets like sent to the <laughs> future or sent to an alien planet or or something horrible. Always. Yeah, happens. fate. Fate yeah. always pulls us yeah. back yeah. apart again. Yeah. yeah. So it's that whole. It almost encapsulates that in a really singular image. And the thing is, in TV, I don't always notice direction, and I don't always notice the way things are shot, and and pick out meaning from the way things visually are presented on screen. But that one was really, really visceral to me, really like, powerfully done. And it was just such a simple moment. And it was, you know, you use two actors and a pane of glass that can reflect mm. and you have a conversation. And, you know, it's really really cleverly done. It's It's very neat. And the thing is, well, a lot of direction, it can just be subtle, but very, very good. And as much as it doesn't jump out at you, 
you take it in in the background yeah. and yeah i think shields had some pretty good direction this year i'd i'd, I'd struggle to pick out too many individual elements but yeah it's it's definitely been well shot it's been well worked on i mean even the final episode is the one that's freshest in my head obviously because it's the one yeah. i've watched this but even some of the cgi work and the scale that they are willing to go to in shield is pretty epic i mean they've done space they've done the destruction of the planet they had some pretty good cgi and stuff in this season they've had a bit spent on them or what they have spent they've spent wisely yeah there's some beautiful shots especially the spaceship and everything in space Mm. and you know whatever else um the sort of flying through the asteroid field which isn't really an asteroid field it's the remnants of earth yeah you know, all the, the sort of lighthouse stuff that they did at the very beginning of the season was very well shot. And then you've even had some later space stuff, plus um, I think it was Chicago that they were in in the end. Yeah, like um, in the midst of the events of Infinity War. Yes. Like a spaceship was crashing in Chicago. So Meanwhile, in Chicago, about. yeah. yeah. <laughs> is this connected? Is it not? I mean, it is, but we'll get to that. Uh, not yet, though. So... Yeah, I found I found like so the Fitz and Simmons thing I always found compelling and um so that I mean you can talk about the big CGI and stuff, but that just that little visual touch and and um you know, if you don't remember that episode that well enough or you don't remember that moment, it's towards the end of the devil complex. Mm. So that is episode fourteen. So watch that again. Anybody who's listening, just watch the last scene. I think it's the last scene. If not the last, I think scene, so. I think, if, yeah, just... yeah. So just just watch that and and let the moment sort of sink in, because it is very powerful. You were talking CGI, and that kind of brings us. Yeah, sorry tangentially. for. Uh... <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Uh, bringing us tangentially, uh, naturally to the alien villains of the season. So you had the Confederacy, um, who were a means to an end. To be perfectly honest, they were there, but they weren't like that interesting. So you had the the tease of that alien guy. What's his name? Kovos or whatever it was. Mm. Him, that guy. Uh, and it was like, all right, okay. Is this Cassius's dad? Turns out not. Well, he does turn up for an episode later. Now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of a means to an end. It was one of those. Oh, could these be the people that destroy the Earth? You know, because it's we want graviton. We want gravitonium. It's like, okay, you want that, but whatever. And then it just kind of. They, they seem to exist to just give Talbot a change of clothes, to be honest, by the end. You know, <laughs> well, so do you know what? Defeated. But they've been a background influence, I think, is the bit that I quite like. It's the fact that this has been running for a very, very long time. Yeah. That sort of Hydra found out how to communicate with these guys and made a deal years ago and have been sending them offerings <laughs> ever since <laughs> you know that's the bit that I found quite sort of I mean, as much as okay the threat towards the end is not particularly high from them it's, it's the fact that they've been there sort of influencing in the background and advising in the background for quite a bit and then <laughs> the, when getting told um, you know, you're not going to get a deal with us anymore. They're going, oh well, we're not going to be able to protect you now, anyhow, because <laughs> we know what's coming around the corner. Yeah, um, it was a bit. I, I kind of liked. It was like, yeah, we've we've been taking your protection money for quite a while, but we can't protect you from what's coming up. You're on your own. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and 
I guess they padded out a couple of episodes and they, they served their purpose for sure. Um, there was the episode where Talbot ended up imbuing himself with the Gravitonium-based powers where um, those aliens attacked and, you know, you had that kind of claustrophobic alien-esque mm. scenario and <laughs> it was the bit where it's like, is your, uh, you know, are you under nuclear attack? Is there, like, is it weather or whatever it was? And then uh, the third option turns out it's an alien invasion, but Coulson just presses, like, one before... <laughs> yeah, he selects nuclear attack because he yeah. didn't think alien alien invasion would be an option. Is it an extreme weather event? Yeah. Is it uh You always yeah. listen to the whole menu. <laughs> yeah, listen to all the options. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, so there was that. That was really good because it kept them inside. It kept them confined, and, and conveniently having Daisy outside in that episode heightened the tension as well. Yes, because she would have just easily murdered them all. So that's fine. But yeah, they they had to operate under very low resources and the lighting fires and all that. It was cool. It was just cool. But again, a threat for a single episode, and not. Not huge. I mean, I feel like the Confederacy might have just been the main villain of a previous season or whatever. Yeah, I mean, though, though you've got the option for them to come back in because that was only like an envoy of the Confederacy, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't like their whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you've still got that. But on the note, when you were talking about the lighthouse, I've got to say I've loved all of the whole Patrick Warburton stuff. (laughs) The sort of scientists (laughs) popping up, going, "Well, it looks like you're trying to fly away." (laughs) Yeah, Uh, has been uh, very neat. I've I've liked all that. But yeah, Confederacy. yeah, they seemed a bit lacklustre towards the end, but they were trying to fit it in with other events, I think, mm-hmm. which is why they had to change the scale, potentially, of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but also, I think it's more a setup for stuff that's coming later. I'd, I'd, that's not the last that we've seen of them. Yeah. It will it will come back at some point. I liked what little we saw. I think it was Tarion, his name is, something like that. Because dad. We'll just call mm. it that. Uh, you got to see a bit, because the, the whole thing about the Cassius that we knew, he was a bit of a snivelling coward, letting other people do stuff for him, letting other people get in harm's way for him. And you've got the bit where Talbot's like, who speaks for you people? Uh, and he's like, well, this guy, he's considered to be one of the wisest. And then Talbot immediately absorbs him to show how that he means business. <laughs> and you've got the impression that, like, Daddy Cassius just didn't like this guy. <laughs> you know, and that's exactly what I wanted to see. And that was backed up a little bit because what he was doing is he was telling Talbot exactly what he wanted to hear. You know, he was buttering up his ego. Uh, Talbot's always been pretty arrogant anyway, so giving him the opportunity to like to to drink in the kind of the scale of his own power and just mm. be considered a bit of a god by this guy. And it's like he's gonna do exactly what you want him to. And um you know, and he ends up getting given Daisy, for instance, um, because that's what he wants at that point. Uh, it doesn't last long, but it's what he wants at that point. But you get the impression, and I wonder if we could see more of that. I mean, we've already seen quite a lot of it with his son, but it's a different flavour because he just clearly knows how to play people, and I quite like it when people do that in, in TV shows. No, definitely. It was interesting, and uh, again, it's another character that I think is being set up for a later, a later thing. 
the later season that they hoped he would get. The later season that they hoped. I, it was like, if, if it closes at this point, we've not lost anything. However, we've got this in the tank for later yeah. if we're asked for it, you know? Possibly, yeah. Because it was all just holograph, hologram communication from miles away or hundreds of thousands of billions of miles away. Yeah, they've got, yeah. They've got a chance to go, oh, well... You know that in the end they were interested in Earth as a resource to get in humans yeah. in the in future world. Yeah. The fact that Earth has now not been destroyed doesn't stop them potentially being curious no. about that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and ultimately it butters Talbot up to be the villain. Mm. Uh, leads to him going to speak to his son. Uh, and I like that his, his son is... Or he, he tries to look for validation from his son. You know, he's like, I'm a hero, just like the Avengers. I can fly and I don't need a hammer. You know, that kind of stuff. And um, he's kind of like, yeah, you should like totally worship me as a hero because it's almost like, he th- if he thinks of me in the same leagues as the Avengers, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm going to be the best dad I can be yeah. now because I've got superpowers and yeah. there's no way he can't like me now. Yeah, and then his son, George, I think his name is, gets is terrified of him. Completely terrified of him. and it's And then... Talbot's mind warps that in a way that suits him as well. So when he when he flies off, he's like, nah, watch the news, you'll see. I'm a hero. And then when he talks to Daisy, it's like, nah, I'm just he just wasn't used to me like that yet. And you know, it's that corruption. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't the fact so, he was pinning his mum against the wall, it was the yeah. fact that he's not he's not ready to see me with superpowers yeah. yet. Yeah. And so that was good stuff and it gave Talbot that bit of extra depth. Something that he kind of loses in the final episode because of, because he needs to be the villain for the purposes of that. But I think because you've spent so much time giving him depth up to that point, it's okay to have him lose it a little bit, just for that you know that point because he he can coast on what you've done with him. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's all that goodwill they built up over the season. For instance, that that episode that I talked about where they're just huddled in the dark fighting aliens, they've earned that. You know, they've, they've earned an episode where it can just... Not a tremendous amount of plot moves forward, other than the significance of Talbot getting his powers, but it's an episode where you can just do that. You can just deliver an action-based thing. Because in that same episode, you've got Colson and May escaping the alien ship. That's true. Yeah, you've got a good locked room sort of story. It, yeah. it worked well as a standalone. I mean... It's, it's the character development's been really good in this. I agree with what you say where Talbot in the sort of last episode doesn't quite get the outcome that he deserves, I think, as a character, just because, like you say, he needs to be the villain at some point and you have to, by the end, agree with Daisy's choice to basically throw him into space. Yeah. Um, if you have any doubt in your head that Talbot might be redeemable at that point, then you've got to have it you know, quelled. Yeah. It's got to go away. Um because by the time that you're you're seeing that, he's killed umpteen people, he's destroyed buildings in the middle of Chicago. Yeah. It's like it's there's no sort of oh, you know, all oh, they're all being sacrificed so that I can I can save the world kind of thing. It just yeah. goes nuts. And even when Daisy tries to reason with him with the, you know, you were a hero already, you were already serving your country, you were a hero like all the people around here that were putting their lives on the line every day. You know, you think at that point she might get through to him and he just throws it right back in in her face and carries on. They laid that kind of first responders are all heroes thing a bit thick. Mm. And uh, 
not that I don't think that first responders, nurses, paramedics, doctors, firemen, all these people that rush into danger, headlong into danger, every single day of their lives to protect other people, I think that's an amazing thing to do. I couldn't do it because I'd much rather wait, sit and wait till I get superpowers and can't be killed because, you know, I'm kind of a scaredy cat that way. But I, I do think that, you know, I do think that all these people deserve every bit of recognition they're, they're that's coming to them. It's just I think the moment itself is slightly hammy, but I could I understood the sentiment, understood mm. the need for the sentiment, and the example of look around you, everyone in here is a hero. Look at everyone scrambling around to repair the damage that you have caused, um, and we need you to wisen up to the fact that you are also a hero. You just kind of lost your way a little bit, and he's like, nope. In order to be a hero, I need to tear the earth apart and absorb all this crap so that I can fight my enemies. And like, he doesn't even know who he's fighting anymore. In fact, he doesn't know who he's fighting in the first place. Uh, yes. He has no idea. <laughs> so he's just doing that and then he wants to get Daisy's powers so he can quake the earth apart to get to the stuff quicker, which is what would have caused the destruction of earth. Unequivocally, that is what would have happened. Because he's, he's too drunk on power, he doesn't realise how powerful he actually is. You know, and doesn't know how to temper it in such a way. So he's mm. just lashing out. And then what would have happened was, in order to get to the Gravitonium even quicker, boom, the Earth cracks to pieces and kills him anyway, I guess. I guess. And I'm, I'm going to assume so. Yeah. We, we didn't see him floating about in the, in the future. Well, so. I'm not convinced he's dead at this point, but who knows? No, well, that 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 I was going to debate with you as well. He's been flung into space, but I still don't think that's the last that we've, we've seen of that character. No, although they did make the point of, I don't need the Quinjet to fly, I need it to breathe. Mm. Yeah, so he's still human, I suppose. But who knows? He does absorb another chunk of Gravitonium in that episode, so... You know, alien technology. Yeah, it's all, you know, bring well, back to life a, plus gravitonium. You ah, know. It's a comic book, but I don't feel like you can do much else with Talbot at this point. If he just comes back, it's like, oh, good, whatever. Graviton's back, you know, mm. and that's it. But so I'm not that fussed about him coming back. To be perfectly honest, I think he's over enough with now and dealt with in a reasonably satisfying way. So that's fine. Hey. I haven't really talked about Coulson. He had a significant arc this season. Basically, man with terminal illness. That is his arc. He's dying. He's made peace with the fact that he's dying. And he just wants to do what good he can while he's still alive. And, you know, he has that kind of indefinite timeline. So he doesn't know when it'll be, but he knows it'll be soon. And you find out about this in the 100th episode. And it's a really emotional moment where Daisy's losing her father figure. Where everyone's losing their leader. And... In that very episode, he goes into the basement to uh, close up or stitch up the fear dimension at that point. It's not closed. Um, and he's confronted with uh, Mike, a.k.a. Deathlock. And that's that kind of, I'm the first person, you failed sort of fear. But it's not. Do you know what? I I think it's another one that was played really, really well, actually. It's a man who for a good few seasons was struggling with the fact that he was alive and why he was brought back and what his reason for being back was especially you know considering at the beginning he's he's he he doesn't think he was dead in the first place yeah you know so we've seen this person struggling with the reason that they're about for quite a while so for Coulson to then be told oh actually this this is it you are dying again um you're going to go out 
Um, there's nothing we can do. We don't think we can help you. In fact, the thing that brought you back is the thing that's also now taking you out. I thought was a really interesting way of playing it. Plus and Ghost Rider. Plus, plus Ghost Rider, yes. <laughs> plus, plus the deal you made back a, a season ago. You know, um, I thought it was really interesting. You know, I thought he, they played it well, especially because they've been working so hard over this season and the last to build the relationships between the characters better. Yeah. You know, Coulson's relationship with May, the way that has developed over the last two seasons has been excellent. Mm-hmm. It has been a proper sort of slow build uh, from Since colleagues to thing. Since the beginning, you know, but, but the beginning you get is more of a colleague relationship and a mutual respect relationship. In season one, they're the parents, everyone else is the kids. Yes. Yeah. Apart from Ward, who's kind of like the older brother who's... Uh, you know, this analogy can get stretched, but yeah, yeah. it can a bit. Oh, it can a bit, but yeah, you get you get the fact that you know the two of them are both these these agents that have got a bit of back history. They do know each other from old, but this is them like relearning each other's yeah. uh, tricks and routines, and just the last couple of seasons, I've uh, really built on that properly. And, um, yeah, I think it's been really impressive the way they've done that. So seeing Coulson going through it, seeing May dealing with the fact that she knows or thinks that she's going to lose him, um, I think it's been really powerful stuff. It has been. Um, Yeah. Him facing his fears, interesting stuff. Him doing whatever it takes to protect people and May calling him out on his reckless behaviour. It's like, it's like you don't care, like we care. And and when Daisy and May are working to kind of try and save him behind his back. And then they get to the point where it's possible and he didn't take the serum because it just didn't feel right. And, you know, it's like, I would have been disappointed had Colson taken the serum at that point. The reason being, I did believe that he'd come to terms with the fact that he'd die. he was dying. You know, he knew his time was up. He'd been given a second chance, and he used that second chance. Doesn't have any regrets about that second chance, so he's happy to just pop off. Mm. You know, it's his time. Fine. If he'd suddenly been like, I want to live. I've realised that I really want to live. It would have cheapened it for me. And, I mean, we'll get on to why and what I think will happen next, but um, the the way they built it, um, letting him go off to... They call it the retirement party, not the funeral. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and the fact that he winds up on Tahiti. Now, just... the, the only thing I've got to say about Tahiti, now, earlier on, I praised them for their use of CGI. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, I have got to say, one of the worst green screen <laughs> beach visits <laughs> ever. If there was a if there was a scene where they saved budget to make something else awesome, that scene in particular was one where I looked and went, "What have they done?" It's the worst. It's like someone went onto Google, and went beach, <laughs> and took whatever the first image was, threw it up, and went right. Say your goodbyes in front of this. It's like, it was just, yeah, it was 
awful. But it's that. the sentiment was nice. I love the sentiment. The fact that he's genuinely now going to Tahiti, I think, is a really nice touch. It was just the fact that the CGI was so poor that yeah. I thought like they're said, going, you know, it ah! is magical. Yeah. yeah, oh, this is such a magical place. And yeah. I'm just like, I can tell that's Clark Gregg standing in front of a green screen, looking at a green wall, going, wow. It is beautiful. <laughs> and it just made me chuckle. I just, yeah, inside it was, quite, I was... it was quite a funny moment, actually. But, you know, I, I think I was a bit of an emotional wreck by that point anyway. But, yeah, I did notice it at the time. and um, But, yeah, it was just such a such a good moment. And the way where he says goodbye to all the all the team and he's like, Thank, thanks for everything. These are all heroes. All that stuff was just... It was just nice, you know, it was... It's almost, I mean, I've talked about how I don't, I think the writers knew, thought the writing was on the wall for them, so mm. they didn't think they were coming back, and this was, you know, they do that in TV shows where they know it's the end, they film the goodbyes, effectively, you know, it's not just the characters saying goodbye, it's the actors saying goodbye to each other, because they're not going to work together again after that point, and um, that's what it felt like. I, I I agree with you. This this season, especially the way they've ended it, had the feeling of we have wrapped up all the loose ends. Yeah, we've left a couple of things dangling about out there, but we have wrapped up everything that we need to. All the sizable plot points are all done. All the characters are resolved in a way, and it was just a nice little finish. That if that was it, then it wasn't leaving sort of massive cliffhangers for future. You know. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was a great little wrap up um, for Colson. You know, he's the I said in my review, he's the guy that held this show together from day one. You know, he's he's uh, been the leader of every various configuration of the team, larger and smaller than it is now. Um, and I would argue that at one point, at least, he was holding together the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, maybe that's an overestimation of his contribution, but he was in Iron Man, he was in Iron Man 2, he was in Thor, and he was in the Avengers. The only one he missed was Captain America, you know? Yeah, he was the, he was the common Fred, yeah. Yeah. He was the, the everyman, he's us, you know, at least in those films. In this show, he's the, the voice of experience, uh, he's the leader, he's, you know, he's he's everything he needs to be in this show, and... And it's weird when you watch, if you watch, say, Iron Man 1 or even Iron Man 2 and you look at Clark Gregg and you're like, you wouldn't see lead of TV show in him, you know. But he is. He just, he very much leads this this group and he leads it very well. And he's commanded the show very well throughout. Mm. And that's a character I've always liked. Definitely. I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, the whole... um, the fact that he connected with so many people is what led to the show almost getting commissioned pretty much. It was a whole yeah. Coulson Lives thing because yeah. people were like, oh, we like that guy, we don't yeah. want to see him go. Like you say, the common everyman thing where he's not there with superpowers, he's just a guy doing his job yeah. and he's there, you know. I, yeah, I've, I think he's held the programme together really, really well. A good, a good thread to run through and the fact that he's going to be in a in the, um, I was going to say Captain America film, the Captain Marvel film. Yeah. I don't know to what a degree he's going to be in it, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing him in that, sort of I'm back in the, the movie universe. Mm-hmm. The past of it, but, but he's there. The past of the movie universe, but the movie universe nonetheless. Yeah. 
And I suppose that brings us naturally on to how they end things for mm. this season. I mean, I'm looking at my notes here, I'm trying to think, you know, we've mentioned the villains and Hale and Ruby and Talbot and Graviton, the Confederacy and all that stuff. Time loopy stuff we've talked about. But the, the so the the finale comes with well, one death really. I mean the second death is like it'll, it's gonna happen soon, but we don't we don't have to watch Colson die. So he's still alive at the end of the series. Um just not for much longer. But Fitz dies and I did not expect that. No, and no, I've got to say that that came as a bit of a, a, a shocker for me, yeah. yeah. And it was that moment where I kind of realised something that I hadn't, wasn't aware of before that point. I am more emotionally invested in this show than I am any other show I'm watching. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was a wreck when, when Fitz died. And then the later point where Coulson was saying his goodbyes, I was just like, I'm not ready. I can't watch the, like, I'm not, I wasn't prepared for this, you know. No. And, um, you know, they can kill off a character in Arrow. They can kill someone off in The Flash. And I'll be like, ah, that's a shame, but I don't care. Like, I, you know, that, well, that's really cold of me to say, but I don't care as much as I'm supposed to care. You know, but like, at some point, this show grabbed me in such a way that I'm heavily invested in all the characters to the point where someone dies who can be easily brought back and I'm a mess as a result of it. I but see the thing is I've got to say I'm I'm the same as you it kind of took me as a oh as soon as the rubble fell on him the size of the chunks of rubble I was like oh he's just been taken out by a massive pile of rubble that it looks like it hits him in the face it, it, yeah it looks like he's full that, he's, on oh, taken from the head and yeah, it's like they take okay. massive <laughs> chunks of concrete off him and he's like oh well thank God I can't feel my legs or I think my legs are broken yeah. and I'm like I can't believe they've done that they've, they've, they've made it look like he was dead and then the yeah. next bit is they remove the bit of rubble reveal the fact that there's a gaping hole in his chest I was like oh my God and they've taken fits out and it's one of those things, it's a testament to the programme, the fact that they've brung the characters on to such an extent, you've seen the development, you're invested in them, and you then do care <laughs> when one of them gets smashed with tons of rubble, that you're like, oh my god. And I've got to say, at that point, I wasn't thinking, oh, he's, he's, he's going to be brought back, because no, technically... I, I, I did yeah. not think about that whatsoever. It was only later that I was when thinking... They tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, when uh, Simmons says... No, it's it. Colson says, "I think you'll find him. It's fine," and she's like, "Yeah, he's not missed that much. <laughs> he's he's not missed that much. He'll, yeah. he'll we'll we'll have to explain to him what's happened." Okay, but you're legally married, and uh, you, you're you have a psychotic break in the near future. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I just it, I thought it was great. It just it, it, when it suddenly clicked, I was like, "Oh my god! Thank God he's still out there somewhere. He's he's going to be brought back." Because I've I've loved him from not from <laughs> from day one, but I've loved the character getting developed. And I yeah, about season and two is the point I liked Fitz. I think and enlightened self interest. It's a Scottish character, yeah, yeah. So we we like seeing Scottish characters in Marvel stuff. It Scottish makes us feel engineer. involved. Yeah. A Scottish engineer. Let's have a more more Scottish engineers, please. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and and I'm thinking back to like the whole points in TV shows where I've been like most moved. And it turns there's only three I can think of. This episode, the um, <laughs> the last another one is an episode of Agents of Shield. Funnily enough, it's the one where Bobby and Hunter leave. Uh, the whole spies goodbye scene is is very well put together. And the other one is in the Flash season one, 
where uh, the the last episode where you know he's saying goodbye to his mother, and <laughs> how the mighty have fallen with that show, but mm-hmm. um, but the other so I'm like I'm sitting here thinking, how is it this show that I was barely tolerating in season one sometimes just become this, you know, for me and it's that whole Simmons line about we were very different people back then, and it's like yeah you are, and this is a show where you can look through it and you think. <laughs> You know, this this is so the move from A to B to C to D. You know, they're they're very, they have changed, they have evolved, they've they've become better, they've they've become more interesting, they've become new, more nuanced, and so it gets to the point where you can kill someone that that can be brought back, and there's an emotional reaction there. No, definitely, and it, like you say, they properly play on the emotions with the scene. The sort of whole um, sort of engraving the sign for going on the the yeah. plane is is a very nice little touch. Uh, the fact that he's he's getting his send off for a few days or however long he says it's like two to four days or whatever he says with me on in Tahiti, I think is just it's a really days or weeks. Days or weeks. There you go. Sorry. Yeah. Days or weeks that he's getting on Tahiti. You're like that's nice. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. It's sort of like that's. A fitting, a fitting, a fitting way for him to go if that does indeed happen. But um, yeah, they've t- they've tied it very well, I think. And I was thinking of something else actually um, when the whole when it dawned on me that oh yeah, there is that other version of Fitz kicking about out there. Uh, have you ever seen the Futurama TV movie Bender's Big Score? Yes. Yeah, you know the whole thing about. Every time a time remnant's created, the universe will eventually get rid of it. Yes. Yeah. That that's what I was thinking there. So like Ah, uh, so it's uh yeah, there can be two fits uh, around at the same time, yeah, so once once they change the future, right, the, the fits that we've been watching becomes a time remnant. Because the original is still out there frozen. That's oh, that's quite true. Actually, it's like it basically as soon as as soon as they fix time and back on, Fitz you know, dies. time goes off track and onto a different thing. Fitz dies. Oh, I didn't think of that. Actually, that's, I don't know if it's uh, a deliberate reference or if it's just something they did, but it just kind of. I don't imagine it's deliberate to Futurama, but it's quite a neat concept. I think that even just nat well not natural causes but you know what i mean sort of naturally it rebalances itself without well i'm thinking that that futurama must be something of an influence to the show because it's philip j colson isn't it (laughs) um i don't know Uh, it just made me think of it like later on i was just oh yeah so i so no that's uh you know what the time remnant i didn't i didn't think of that actually (laughs) that's uh yeah oh that's that's very funny. Now, I'm wanting to talk about this in context to a film that was out in the summer. <laughs> well, what I'm going to suggest is we do that as a post-credit scene. I would do a post-credit yeah. thing. So I like what that. We'll do, what we'll do is I'll do my ending. Uh, this is for you listeners, and for Chris who doesn't know that I've planned. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have any idea yeah. of the plan. So, so basically, what will happen is we're gonna, well, we're gonna record the post-credit stuff just now. And then I'm going to stick it in at the end of the podcast. I'm not going to put in the whole technical aspect of it. For you listeners, listen to my wrap-up statement about liking on us, liking us on Facebook and iTunes and all that stuff. And then there'll be some music. And then after the music, there'll be an extra bit of conversation that Yay. spoils Infinity War. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So that you, yeah. you be you be warned already. You be warned. Uh, you know, go out and watch the thing already. Yeah, Agents of Shield has the will return in a moment. We're going to have the return in a moment. So there we go. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right on to next season. Um, so we're, we're we may talk about next season stuff in our post credit sting. Isn't it weird to talk about something in the future about something that we've just done? <laughs> time travel's weird. Yeah, time travel's weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. So next season, you've got a few things, uh, other than the stuff we talk about later. Uh, Fitz, go to find Fitz. Explore what it means to have an earlier version of the character interacting with the versions of the other characters that have experienced so much else. Um, so he learns that he's married to Simmons and missed the wedding and all that stuff. So um, maybe there'll be a second wedding. I don't know. Uh, just just for the hell of it. Just you know to tug at the heartstrings even more. Uh, Coulson though is my main one, and this is going to be a controversial statement because I don't wholly agree with it. But I don't think he should come back. I agree with you in the same conflicted way. Where I really like Coulson. I really like Clark. Greg, but they have given Coulson a really nice send-off at the end of this. Yeah. Now, I know that the reason they probably gave him a nice send-off at the end of this is because they thought the show was getting a send-off at the end of this. Yeah. But I I would feel a bit cheated if they did a flip round of, oh, we found the magic, make better medicine. Isn't that great? Let's see if Coulson's still there on that beach. Yeah. And but then bring you have him to back. Get around the fact that Coulson doesn't want to. Yeah, he's decided this is his time anyway. He's decided that. Yeah. It would need to be some like a decision that makes him want to take it to come back for whatever reason that may yeah. be. But I'm, I'm the same as you. It's like they've given him such a nice send off that I think I would feel a bit cheated if they yeah. they reversed it. I agree with you. The hunt for fits. I don't know how long the hunt for fits will be. Uh, whether it'll be very quick at the beginning or whether it'll be um, just a recurring thing running throughout, like you say, the season, you know, they just yeah, like you say, they've not got many, they've not got many episodes, um, so yeah, they they can't draw it out maybe as long as they would like to. Yeah. Those sort of shields roaming space, hunting for fits and coming across other aliens and cultures would be quite an interesting uh, yeah. season, or at least. Uh, Maybe a separate storyline. You've got people on Earth uh, doing mopping up everything that's been going wrong, while another team are out in space hunting for Fitz. Simmons and Mac, or something. Yeah. Or yeah. You know, you you. I, I think that would be yeah. potentially an interesting way of going. You sort of split the stories and then they unite towards the end for a nice finale. I don't know. Yeah. It could. It could work. Could be. Um, Might not. I mean, I think there's just as likely to be a surprise entrance. Uh, by fits at some point through the season when uh, it gets realised that oh the earth hasn't cracked apart at the time that we expected it to so well maybe Enoch himself yeah. realises that things have changed and just brings him back well that's what I was yeah. thinking is that Enoch is just as likely to notice that things are not happening the way as was predicted and yeah. sort of sends an investigation out finds out that they've changed the timeline and to bring fits back yeah could be um, there's a few options there. In terms of Coulson, I think that anything they do, even if it's good, will cheapen his his exit. And yeah. my fear with season six is that season five wraps it up so completely, so well, 
you know, everything... Well, not, I'm sure there are a few loose ends that I'm not thinking about at the moment, but on the whole, the show is done, right? They've wrapped up what they wanted to wrap up. They gave, the, they gave one character a send-off. They suggested that everyone else will continue on doing what they're doing. You know, you even had that hero moment that establishes S.H.I.E.L.D. as a, an organisation that will now help the people. I yeah, mean, they've pe- always kind of been like that. Yeah. But, but people are running to them for help actively. You know, we yeah. are Shield and we are here to help you. Yeah. yeah. It was just Mac taking over all the PA systems, all the phones, and just saying, "This is Shield. We're here to rescue you. We're going to help all the people in the buildings that are about to collapse. Get on board our plane. You'll know it when you see it." I thought it was just such a satisfying moment, mm. and I'd like to see more of that Shield being that. You know, instead of like this black ops clandestine group, they're a very public help you know world help organization almost like international rescue in thunderbird yes you know, like, <laughs> i was like about that. to say that yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of like thunderbird too almost almost you know you just paint it a slightly different color and you're just fine painted yeah. green and it'll be painted fun, green yeah. sorry so um so you've got that i mean i think that's something they could really do and really commit to um in colson's honor of course you know because he always liked to help people but um yeah, leave him dead. Let him die with dignity. Keep the character off the board. I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to see a version of Agents of Shield without Coulson, though. I think that he's integral to the show, as we've mentioned mm. before. But the time has come. I think you're you're spot on. I think if they were to backtrack now, it would be really really disappointing. They've written it the way they've written it now. That's it. They've got to stick to their guns. If they're if they're sitting there in a planning meeting now, going, "Oh, how do we get Coulson back?" Then they're they're doing it wrong. It's like they've given him a nice send off. Let them have that that thing. Let the fans keep a hold of that and go, "Okay, thank you for your service. You've done a great job." And I think that that moves it on. Move on with the characters that you've got. Give them nice a nice sort of resolution. Re-establish Shield. Just yeah. do the groundwork for the re-establishment of Shield. People are all, all have forgiven, you know. By this point, they had started that groundwork, that groundswell already uh, in the past season. It was just the fact that it all went a bit nuts with life body decoys at the end that ruined yeah. it for them. They had already started the publicity campaign. They already had like a public director that was there, yeah. sort of in front of the media, saying what Shield was up to. Um, only for them to be knocked back down again. So this this could be them re-establishing it, building it back up to what it was. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of things they could do. Maybe, but I'm, but I'm worried that the whole season six is, that's the season they should never have had type season. I think I'd have been shows. equally disappointed if they had announced... I mean, granted, when they announced the renewal, we hadn't seen the finale yet. Yeah. I think now that we've seen the finale, you're like, actually... the maybe they could have had a nice send-off and just, yeah. just done it that way. Yeah, because so what you could have, potentially, I'm not saying this is what will happen, but what you could potentially have is a subpar season six that either doesn't function very well without Coulson or doesn't function very well now with Coulson because you're always reminded mm. of, you know, his sacrifice, his ending. Um, so that's that. But I don't know. I am interested to see it. I'm... Looking forward to seeing more of more of these characters and, and seeing what they do with it. And they've got plenty of time to figure all this out. Yes, definitely. Plenty of time. They probably don't need to start shooting until January. You know, 
maybe even later than that, maybe March or April. Well, that's the advantage of the the delayed delayed, um, schedule for it as well. Also allows the actors to sort of have other projects before they, they kick back in again. Yeah. Yeah, what those other projects will be, who knows, but... Captain Marvel, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, on that note, we don't have that much more to say, other than perhaps a post-credit scene. <laughs> listen to. No, no, there's definitely a post-credit scene. Do not stop when you hear the music, please. Like, yeah, you've, got, you've got to listen to the music, and then all the credits, and <laughs> uh, then we sort of thank the, the people, and then we put up a sign telling you that no animals have been harmed in the making of the podcast. And then there's a few logos, a uh, copyright notice, and then, then there is a post-credit sting for you. And then there's the bit where it's like Craig and Chris will return. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on on a other podcast yeah. at yeah. a point in time, uh, either in the future or in yeah. the past in your feed. Yeah. Although if you haven't seen Infinity War, then don't listen to after the credits because we spoil a lot. But it is there. Listen. To yeah, it. we spoil we spoil a lot, but not. Explicitly, strangely enough, but <laughs> yeah, but, but, no, yeah, but it's, it's definitely def- definitely spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so wrap up thoughts, season five as a totality, the two arcs. How do you think they they stacked up? Season five, loved it. Um, really well wrapped up. Uh, two places that I just didn't think uh, Agents of Shield would go. Uh, opened with us in future in space. I, I don't think you can you can really <laughs> ask for more than that. It sort of beat my expectations, really, as much as we had had a teaser of the fact that Coulson was in space. I did not expect the storyline that we got when it returned back to Earth and back to normality and in inverted commas, equally as good. Um, two really strong sort of story arcs that they had through there. Uh, well acted, some very well written stuff, and like I say, they made uh, really good use of the CGI budget that they had. I think it, it looked proper neat this year. Yeah, I would agree with everything you said there, um, as well as the realisation, I mean I'll have to repeat that, but the realisation that this is the show on television that I'm most emotionally invested in, <laughs> without realising it, um, and yeah, the finale was destructive to my emotional well-being for, for most of Saturday, it has to be said, uh, and the fact that a TV show could do that to me, I'm like... Good, good going, S.H.I.E.L.D. Well done. I mean, Infinity War didn't even do that to me, you know? So, there we go. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Emotionally investing. That was our discussion on the second half of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5. Thanks to YouTuber nstens1117 for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard, then hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app iTunes users, we'd appreciate if you'd leave us a star rating and we're looking for feedback on our new Neil Before Rise Against feature or any other part of the podcast. You can leave us comments at any time on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or under the article on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. Don't forget to stay tuned for our Avengers Infinity War spoiling and post-credits thing and we do hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod. We'll return in a moment. So this show made several references to Avengers Infinity War throughout particularly the last few episodes. Um, They talk about, it starts off quite subtle by talking about the attack on New York, which happens near the start of the film. Mm -hmm. And then eventually builds up to the point where it's 
Thanos is invading Earth right now. We need someone to fight him. And Talbot's like, I can fight Thanos. He won't. <laughs> and never does. But I'm I'm really glad that there's not separate world-ending alien invasions happening at the same time. So I know. I I kinda like the way that it's one ship that crashes in Chicago at the same time as the attack on New York has just happened. That kind of means that attention is distracted from the two. It doesn't make it look like it's a separate event. It looks like it all could be, in fact. And the fact that it could then be just mushed over as this is all happening at the same time and yeah. everyone's scattering about trying to work out what's going on. Yeah. Um, I thought that was neat. I thought the way they kind of showed Mac looking at the TV, seeing the the Battle of New York going on, I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a typical S.H.I.E.L.D. way of doing it. So I show it on the TV in the background going, oh, we should get involved in that don't maybe. Don't mention the Battle of Edinburgh, though. Don't mention, don't mention the attack in Edinburgh, service. yeah. That, that yeah, would have been nice. I, I would have gone for that. see that wouldn't have been noticed. It was like the middle of the night. And <laughs> the skirmish in Scotland, yeah. as it would be marked up as on the, uh, you know, yeah. for catchy headline purposes. Yeah. But I don't uh, think that many people would have seen it because it was like the middle of the night and everything was closed and, and whatever else. So that's fine, I guess, that that maybe didn't make the news as quickly. No, I, and it would have been a small. It would have been slightly further down the scale of uh, uh, spaceship New attacks yeah. New York. Um, but yeah, it's I, I kind of liked that they did it. I thought, oh, was that the mention they're doing? And then, of course, you get the Confederacy saying, yeah, we were going to protect you against other things, but we're definitely not protecting you against Thanos. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. You know, we were going to have to withdraw our support anyway. We'll let you know that he's coming, but that's us, you know. Yeah, but there's also the... Now, this is the problem you can have with shared universities. So they mention stuff uh, that will never pay off on the show, although... I'm wondering who this audience is that watches Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but hasn't seen the Marvel yeah. films. You know, it's, statistically it's got to exist. Oh, there will, so, there will definitely be people yeah. that have, have seen this before seeing Infinity War. Yeah, or just haven't seen... Right, there will be the people that only watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and don't bother with the films. It just will happen. It's got to. You know, we've got... Um, we've got seven-odd billion people on Earth. Or three and a half after Thanos is done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so you know, chances are there are a few people that watch Agents of Shield but don't give a crap about the Marvel films. And if you are listening to this, then cool. Uh, welcome at the post credit scene where we talk about these films. But um, so the problem with that is it'll never pay off. So they mention someone that will never appear. Uh, it's a threat from elsewhere that will never appear, um, and it has nothing to do with the arc that they're doing you know so like it doesn't have much to do with their arc apart from the fact that it's what kind of triggers Talbot into going even more power mad yeah um you know it kind of gives an extra emphasis to oh i only i can stop this incoming threat by becoming even more powerful and he just once he gets that in his head it's like his mind was set on oh i'm going to stop this spaceship that's in orbit and he does that and then when he finds out there's this other threat, he's like, right, now I'm going to power myself up even more because that's what helped the first time round. Yeah. So getting even more power, well, what could be wrong with that? You know, The major outcome, and it, it, it works both ways, like you're saying. It's like, okay, they're not going to have Thanos on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. No. Just not going to happen. No. Um, but also the big impact of Infinity War, I was surprised didn't, 
have an impact on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because the way they've left it, um, and I've seen talked about, is basically this is taking place in between um, the attack on New York, um, you know, where they take Doctor Strange and the ship comes down, and Thanos attacking Wakanda. Yeah. So this is happening before the snap happens, which means that the snap doesn't have any impact on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the biggest element, really, at the end of uh, Infinity War. It is, but the thing... So my answer to that is twofold, one of which is it has nothing to do with them. So people would just be disappearing for no reason. Yep. Uh, and then they would set it up as... I mean, it would essentially be a cliffhanger of what the hell is happening and suggesting you were going to find out next season, except you aren't. But well, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's, I, I get exactly why they did it, but at the same time you're sitting going, there's going to have to be... They're still going to have to explain in a weird way what happened off screen in our time frame. Yeah. Um which is you know, brings you on to the timing, which is, is very clever where they've planted the 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 next season of Shield to be. Mm-hmm. Which is post after Avengers 4. post yeah. Avengers four. So it means all the all the, the questions are going to be tied up by then. Yeah. Um but leaves it the program in an interesting position for the mop up, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they tie it in properly. But we know that sometimes when S.H.I.E.L.D. does tie into the movies, it does it in a very half-hearted way, just because they're not allowed to play with the full toy box. Well, my my second part of that answer was... Okay, so the the finale of Infinity War is kept under lock and key until the film came out, right? And this includes some of the people that were in it. You know, Tom Holland cannot be trusted, so we won't tell him, um, for instance... Uh, although he's bound to have known because he improvised that death scene, didn't he? So, but how many scenes like that did they get him to improvise? Exactly. Yeah. So, so basically, if they're not going to tell the people that were in it, then they're not going to tell the Agents of Shield writers either. So, it's, it, even if it's just to say, it's not like Winter Soldier where this is this is a pivotal event that's going to affect your show from the ground up. It's like, no, we're not going to tell you that half your cast have to disappear in the finale of this season. Because, well, then it would then it might leak. Simple. As I think that. they gave them. I think they gave them. A, they must have given them a chunk of information. But like you say, I do think. Well, um, it's all very basic. There's going to be an attack in New York, and Thanos is involved. Those are the yeah. only two things they really need to know. Which they could have got from trailers and whatnot, uh, anyway. Well, but yeah, I marketing in general, they'll get told that stuff at least, you know. But I think so. But it's. Um, but yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I just think it's it's interesting, and part of me is a little bit sad that Coulson and May have retired to this beach for <laughs> for his uh, death. Can you imagine if May's one of the ones that gets erased <laughs> out of the two, or Coulson, or Coulson? Like, yeah, he's waiting there to die. to die. May's <laughs> sitting there, and then he just <laughs> disappears into a, a pile of leaves. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, very. Uh, or yeah. you know, he could. Yeah, if if he dusts and then whatever they do that reverses it, he comes back for a few days, you know. <laughs> yeah, and May's left. <laughs> She's went to find out what's happened. Yeah, so 
I think with so I think with season six, they've got a few options here. So what you'll have is spoilers will be abound for Infinity War because it was over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Avengers four maybe not so much, but you can maybe do a couple of episodes where you deal with the notion of. Um, I mean, it depends when in the summer they're planning to bring this out. You know, if it's mid to late July, then Infinity War two or whatever they call it will be around for quite a while. So. Um, they could maybe do a couple episodes that explores the the halved population Earth from their perspective, reveals who disappears, and then have them all come back in like the third episode of the season or something like that. Remember, they've only got thirteen next season. Oh, that's reduced. true. So yeah, so you have a couple episodes where I don't know. You have, for instance, you have an em- well, no, nah, they can't do that because you've got to believe that the last scene of the series takes place just before this finger snap. You know, it won't be far off. Yes. Uh, far off happening. So, yeah, they can't really go into space and find Fitz and then have Fitz watch Gemma disappear before his eyes. Um, that won't happen. But You imagine there'll be a bit of disaster recovery, but S.H.I.E.L.D.'s still half recovering anyway. Yeah. And then to get this other blow. But I think you might get, like, a flashbacky type thing. But I don't think it'll be fully explored because, like you say, it's something that hasn't happened in the TV universe. Yeah, it's happened sort of off screen. I think they will address it. They deliberately mentioned Thanos, so that suggests to me that they're going to address it next season. In what way, I don't know. So yeah, the finger snap should still be a thing, but we don't know how significant. Yes. 